Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for family-first entrepreneurs building profitable and progressive businesses. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Meg Brunson, and my pronouns are she, her. Before we get started, I want to remind you that this podcast episode isn't going to change a thing in your business unless you take action. And the best way to follow through is by joining us inside of the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. It's where we work, win, celebrate, and grow together. Head over to familypreneur.co to join us today. All right, let's do this. Hello, familypreneurs. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Today, we are talking about racism and its roots in the family. I have an incredible guest with me here today, Karen Loomis. Oracle and founder of No Moss Brands is no stranger to the impact of racism, not only in her personal life, but also in her professional life. In the year 2000, Karen moved from Spokane, Washington to Phoenix, Arizona to find better opportunities as promised by the fifth largest city in the United States. Of course, I'm also from Phoenix, so we have that common bond. Um, with only 2% of African Americans in Spokane, it proved to be a challenging environment, as it is in Phoenix, which only has 6% African-Americans. Karen has never shied away from the many barriers that racism presented. She has always felt her, her extensive education and professional experiences could overcome these often invisible challenges. Unfortunately, institutional racism has proven to be too big of a hurdle for one person to take on. So using Nomos Brands as the vehicle, Karen will use her voice to open the eyes of others who are willing to join all people of color on this journey to change. Now, if you're here with us today, I know you are in. So let's dive into this conversation with Karen. Thank you so much for being with us today, Karen. We've been Facebook friends forever, and I'm so excited to finally have the opportunity to meet with you face-to-face ear to ear, whatever, um, and and talk about this important topic and how it relates to us as, as parents um, and just as humans who are, whether you're a parent or not, you're influencing the next generation with with just your your being. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about racism that I've discovered in my long life is that not only do white people not want to talk about it, I really don't want to talk about it either. But what I've recognized is that as a result of 2020, it was it became apparent that I could no longer just sit on the sidelines and let the George Floyd occurrences occur. And and the, the biggest, hardest thing for me is all the chit chat that occurs around any type of an event like that. Like we always want to blame the black person. Well, why didn't you respond accordingly? When the officer said did not do this, why didn't you not do this? Well, there's a big difference between how black people and white people are treated by law enforcement, and that's going to impact how you react. 
And that really is the biggest difference between a lot of what goes on between racism or any kind of ism, if we really want to go down that path, is, is your own personal experiences. And your own personal experiences can be very limiting, but often people don't realize the limitations that you yourself have. Many people who have never left the hometown that they were raised in, if you never leave your hometown you're raised in, you're not aware of the differences that can occur just from going from one city, a big or small, doesn't matter, rural, suburban, doesn't matter because racism still finds its way. Mm. And one thing I feel like I've really learned in my research over the past couple of years is that we have to think too, it's not just the personal experiences because you also get feedback and lessons from your parents. And like, when you think about some of the, especially what we as white people were taught, like the racist era, Martin Luther King, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what we were taught that that was like the peak of racism. Um, or maybe that's not the right way to say it. Sorry, but I'm going to just keep rolling with it. Um, <laughs> is that the, the people who were alive, like those people are still alive. They're the grandparents. They're the great grandparents and the experiences that those people had have been passed down to their children. So like when we, when we talk about the way that, that black people were, were treated in the, in the sixties, the impact of those actions is still relevant today because those people are still, do you know what I mean? Like that, that familial, um, tie. I think a good way to look at it is my mom is 82 years old. So that means that she was born, <clears throat> she was born during the era or, you know, was alive during the era that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so her perspective and the things that she's experienced are completely different per se than the things that I've experienced. And, but yet relative to what you're talking about, her experiences as a child or as a young adult impacted the decisions she made for her family. Both of my parents, both of my parents were born and raised in Sacramento, California. They could easily, and when my dad chose to go into the military and after 20 years, they could easily have retired anywhere in the country. They could easily have gone to Sacramento. My parents chose Spokane, Washington. They'd never been there. They didn't, they were not aware of the cultural or the lack of culture and the impact that it would have on us as children growing up that we would never see anybody like ourselves. I mean, in a class of my high school graduating class was probably 300. And I think there was probably four or five of us that were black. Um, there wasn't much Hispanic population back then. And so I, I grew up in a world where I almost never saw anybody like myself. Why? My family's family didn't live in Spokane, Washington, hardly ever came up there. Now, had my parents chose to raise us in Sacramento, where all the family is, we'd have had the interaction of all kinds of black individuals that are family and non-family. We didn't have that in Spokane. I had to learn how to navigate this world, this white world that we live in. And I also had to learn, here's the most important thing I think I can share for people who have not had the experience of being a person of color, is that 
if I make a claim that there might be racism involved in anything, I become the outcast. I become the one, well, why are you trying to play the victim? There's no racism there. I mean, and this hasn't changed at all. So one of the things that I started doing different as of this year is I started teaching college students. And we have this belief system that this new generation is much more open. I'm not finding that. There's a particular segment in the curriculum uh, of this of one of the classes that I'm teaching that is all about diversity and cultural awareness and advertising. Now, these kids are in their 20, their 98, most of them are junior and seniors. So, you know, you figure 19, 21, 22, maybe at the most, you know, so this is that new generation we're talking about. And so this last topic that we talked about was diversity and cultural awareness. So, of course, I'm a numbers gal. Part of the marketing background that I have is that you always have numbers to support any kind of, uh, you know, statement that you're making so that you it becomes fact and not just fiction. And what I discovered was, is oh, they're receptive to the information. But it, when it gets in their head and they start reflecting on that information, I find they're no different than the kids that I went to school with, the kids that the generation below went to. That they're the same. They have the same belief system. Why? Because their family is an important part of their what we call the intersectional lens, which your intersectional lens can be your community, your education, ethnicity, race, all of these things that impact how you see the world. And right now their world is very limited, not only because they haven't experienced much because they're, they're college students, but also because COVID hit. And so for these kids, their experience at college was probably going to be some of their first experiences in a more, I say this loosely, in a more diverse city, Phoenix, Arizona. Many of them are not from Phoenix, Arizona. So some of the essays, and I thought, excuse me, I thought this was really telling. The people of color, so there's probably a handful more Hispanics. It's mostly Hispanics that I have in the class that are people of color. There's not hardly any African-Americans whatsoever, but the handful of, Af of Hispanics in the class, when they were writing, they said that one of their fears when they came to Grand Canyon University was the lack of diversity. But when you ask the white kids from the Midwest what they their concerns were about going to Grand Canyon University, it was the diversity. Well, it can't be both people. It can't be both, but it can be that that those perceptions are part of their parents' perceptions because their parents have such a strong impact on them that until a kid is out of college and living on his own, which I'm going to give late third, late late twenties, they haven't walked away from their parents' value system yet. So so let's talk about what happened over the news just over the weekend with the Buffalo incident. Total hate crime. 18. Yeah. Where do these thought, where do these things, where does this come from? It, it can't, it can't be he fell into the wrong crowd. Right. It's got to be some pieces in his family. And even if it's not just his parents, it's those, it's the circles and the organizations that children are around that help to develop those views. And until this kid is, he's got 10 more years before he starts to develop his own independent thoughts. And really having an understanding and not being a sheep. So instead, 
This is what we have as a country. Is this not not understanding racism and not understanding that you don't have to be a racist to be discriminatory? You, there's so many people that are, what's the word I'm looking for? Implicit in racism and don't even know it. Don't even realize it. And those are just some of the biases. And we often think of biases. You know, if I say that, oh, you're biased, you're probably not going to react the same as if I said, what a racist, right? So right. What, what often gets lost in this conversation is there's a spectrum mm-hmm. from racist, from bias, discrimination, prejudice, a long line. But I'll tell you what, the minute I bring up anybody, anything about racism, oh, are you sure? How do you know? You can't be right. Why do you always want to play the victim? Not playing the victim, just telling you how it is. If you don't want to hear it, that's up to you. But we're going to continue to live the same world. I don't think that this world that we live in has significantly evolved. And I didn't realize that until 2020. Oh, man, there's so much to just think about and chew on and digest. And I know that I'm I'm in that group that feels like that feels hope in our next generation. Right. And I, I feel like the next generation, there is always, is always better. I don't know a different word, but it's always better. Right. They always are making that like progressive movement forward rather than backwards. But then something like this year where, you know, Roe versus Wade is being challenged and it's not like necessarily a racial issue. It has racial implications, but the fact that 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 is what it is in the Supreme Court. And and like you said, bringing bringing up the situation in Buffalo and even talking about that made me think about um, Rittenhouse and the situation in Minnesota, where it's like we we can't have this like blind hope on the next generation because it's not just going to happen on its own. We have to. You know what else? Hmm. Praying isn't going to change this. I, I'm, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be intimidated or piss off those of you who really have these religious beliefs. But praying is not going to change the country. Thoughts and prayers. And, I, and, and loving thy neighbor. I remember seeing this come up over in the 2020 when conversations. There was a lot of conversations in social media, and I might make a comment on someone on someone's comment on someone's post and they might say, well, shouldn't we all just love our neighbor? And I say, well, what if my neighbor's a racist? Am I supposed to love him too? So that love thy neighbor means you're just going to ignore all their terrible things about them? Or are you going to say, yeah, but he's still a good guy. No, he or she is not. Truthfully, Meg, I think this is a, we're in a major shift right now. And I don't think that white women realize the power that you have as white women to change things you don't like. Right now, white women make less money than white males. And that always impacts your voice. One of the things I teach the college students is to have a voice and how to use your voice. And I use, you know, 
when I was younger and didn't quite have the the ability to do it in a nice way compared to now where I try to be a little bit more politically correct. But the fact of the matter is when it comes to racism, I don't want to have to be nice about this because I don't want to have to worry about whether I've hurt your feelings. Really? I hurt your feelings because I accuse someone else of racism because you refuse to believe that racism exists. And these college students aren't any different. They're not. They don't, they're, they haven't lived enough. And that's putting a lot of hope on a young generation who can barely handle COVID. These kids are not prepared for life. And maybe if I had seen college kids prior to COVID, I might've had a different thought process on it. But the kids that I'm seeing right now are really, I took a step back because of COVID and because during that time when those first two years of college, when they should be, you know, learning what it means to live on your own, you know, learning what it means to make your own decisions and not to have somebody there around you. This is when they're learning who they really are. And they ended up being going, having to go back to their parents' house, you know, and all the things that come up with COVID and all the things that happened with racism, with George Floyd. And, um, you know, we can name a zillion different instances that have happened. And yet nobody wants to call it what it is. Why are we so afraid to call racism racism? You know, you you are a bad person if you believe that you're better than somebody else just based on skin color. You are a bad person if you think you're better than somebody else because you're thin and they're not. You aren't a better person because you think that your sexual orientation is better than theirs. But yet this is the country we live in. And some reason we in the United States think that we are the top dog. Uh-uh. We are not. And that ego, that narcissistic belief system is taking us backwards instead of forward. And the fact that we had to go through four years of Trump, don't even get me started on that. I mean, that that day of that election when he won, I literally walked around that day like a zombie because I knew exactly what we were going to deal with for four years. And we did. And you were right. And I have never, I have never fought my own, my own self so much because it was just so hard to take to watch somebody undo our country. Now, we already had problems. To think that we didn't have problems, here's a perfect example. My parents bought their first house in 1972, I believe which the only reason they were able to buy a house is because of a law that changed that allowed black people to buy houses. Military people are mostly black people at the time. They couldn't buy houses. There was a, there was a law that came in that helped. If not for that law, my parents wouldn't have bought a house. My mom still lives in that house today. That would never have happened if we as a country hadn't put down some kind of law in place. And it's sad that we have to have laws, but if we didn't have the laws we do today, we'd be even worse off than we are. But this comes down to individuals. I mean, individuals aren't gonna change it, but individuals have to band together and be something greater than themselves as an individual. And you know, if people can band together to you know, be part of racist groups, then why can we not band together to be anti-racist? And being anti-racist doesn't mean you just turn your nose and walk away. It means you have a voice and you stand up for your black friend and you understand when your black friend says these are problems. But if you want to deny 
then you haven't lived long enough to understand that you have some bias and you need to look at your own intersectional lens because that intersectional lens, your experiences, as we started this conversation out, get out of your neighborhood, go try something else, you know, be uncomfortable. I grew up in a land of 2% like we were talking about. When I moved here and started to work in this world, I got used to having people of color around me. But there was a board that I was on that it was completely black people. And I was out. I, I was not comfortable because that was not an experience that I had ever had before. So I get it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't because I was in fear. It was just it was an experience that I had never had before. And that's the same thing you have to look at. You have to look at yourself and say, is this is this just my own limitations that are not allowing me to see people for who they are? And those people who are busy saying that we don't have institutional racism, I don't understand how you can ignore the numbers. I mean, there are so many black babies dying at birth. Why? In the U.S.? There's black mothers dying. Serena Williams. One of the, she has money, she has fame. She almost died. She had to stand up for herself when she's sick or she might've died. Yes, white people, this happens to you too. This is not an isolated, but when the numbers show it happens more to a segment of the population than it does to another, you can't ignore that. And you've, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. I agree. I, you know what I mean? I agree with everything you say. Um, for those of us like me who are listening and, and nodding their heads and, and knowing that they, that there's more that they should be doing. Do you have recommendations? Like, what do you say to the white person that wants to be anti-racist and doesn't know what the next step is they should take? Don't be fear, don't be afraid of what your friend. If you are afraid of what your friends are going to say, you'll never change. You can't change if you're worried about what other people are going to say. What you have to understand is is that your country is going to be a better country if black people have better economic gain in this country, have better generational wealth. I'm tired of white people blaming the black population. Pick your own self up. We pick our own self up. Hey, listen. I have so much education. I I am so educated and have so many experiences and I still can't overcome racism. I mean, this is about you as an individual. When you hear yourself or feel yourself getting tense about a situation that might have some racism in it, what are you going to do about it? You're going to sit there? You might sit there a lot. You might have already caught yourself sitting there, right? Are you going to say anything? Probably not. Are you going to say anything to the individual who's who's was just discriminated against? You could start there. You could start to say, I saw that. I saw that. I see you. I see what you have to deal with. Perfect example. Um, when I was in my corporate career, I'm in a meeting after lunch with about probably 10 executives, all men, all white men, just wanted to point that out. And, you know, we're doing our business stuff. And at some point, you know, the CEO comes around to me, you know, as he's going around the table asking people what they think about whatever initiative. And he gets to me and he says, what do you think, Blackie? My initial response to that was nothing, zero. 
I didn't respond because that's a learned behavior. I have learned to sit there and not make a stink in situations like that. Because what would have happened had I said something? So if I say that story to people who are in the room now, I guarantee you nine out of 10 of them are going to deny that story even happened because they forgot all about it. I didn't forget. I remember. I remember. And, and was he being racist? Probably not. He thought he was probably being funny. Well, it's not funny. It's not funny. All it does is make it okay. It's kind of like the, the Chris Rock, Will Smith thing. So now it's open, open game on comedians. If they say something you don't like, you can, you can use some kind of physical harm against them. So this is all about you yourself figuring out how, what is your part going to be? And you may not know. But when the, when the situation comes up, and if you have a black friend, here's an interesting story for you. Uh, side note, most white Americans' circle, social circle, is 91% white. I believe it. We can't learn anything about You can't learn anything about people of color if you are not close to them. Because there's a lot of people that probably think that they are close to me. They don't really know me. I have a very small, short, very limited circle of people who really know the ins and outs of what of things like that about my personal life. Um, 91%. So if 91% of your circle is like you, you don't get any diversity in your life, even if it isn't just skin color. You don't get to learn about new cultures, new traditions, new ways of doing things. You just keep doing things the same way. What a boring life to do things always the same way and to never experience anything else. And, and that's, that's the, I mean, you've got to start with your own circle. If you are, if you are serious about playing a part in changing the complexion of our country and how we treat people of color, then you yourself have to look within yourself. Um, there is a great book. Um, it's one of those books that it taught me a lot about my own race. Because again, 2%, the only people that I knew that were black were the seven people, six people in my family. There's seven of us. So I had to learn from others. Right. So I had to learn that some of these books I can't read, like The Color of Money, Black ba- Black Banks and the Racial Wealth Gap. I got about a chapter into it and it was so hard to hear. And because when I start to play it back in my head, my own life, I realized all the things I was unaware of that are all reflected in, in racism, all the institutional racism. But the book that I was referencing and it is a controversial book. I don't think it's controversial. I think it's controversial because people don't want to um, people want don't want to be told that what they might be doing is wrong. Told so white fragility. Why is it so hard for white people to talk about racism? And she has a and second book out that now that I haven't read yet, but yeah. I've heard the second book yeah. is really good she too. Does. Yeah, she does, and she's white, and so she's writing about things that are going to be hard for you to hear. And you're going to have to reflect on that. You know what? It was hard for me to hear all about our white history when I was a kid growing up and nobody talked about anything about blacks other than they were slaves. You know what? That was fun as a kid. So you can deal with reading a book, right? I mean, like, that's what it comes down to. Oh, we don't want to tell the real history because we don't want those kids to be uncomfortable. Oh, hell no. You don't think I was uncomfortable? You don't think I was uncomfortable during Huck Finn? That might be one of the most brutal books to read 
but yet it's required reading. I mean, those are painful. And so, again, back to the fact that I say when this occurred, when I was called Blackie and I didn't react, it's a learned behavior. It doesn't mean that I'm not reacting inside. It just means I know that if I react, it's going to be worse than it was if I hadn't. And that's a, that tells me there's a problem in this country. If, you know, like in the college, with the college kids, we were talking about, um, you know, I try to give them some examples of things without getting into the racism because I don't want to turn it into a racism discussion because I know they'll clamp their ears shut. And, you know, I said, here's a perfect example. I said, don't try to, don't ask a black person about their hair. It's none of your freaking business. Don't ask to touch it. Don't ask how they wash it. Don't ask if it's their own. I said, don't do any of that. And the, and the kid says, why, you know, you know, why is it so wrong? I said, do people ask you? Do people come up to you and try to pet you? People you don't know? People in a rest stop in the middle of nowhere? I mean, it doesn't just happen to me. I said to him, I said, look it up on the internet. It's a real thing that we as black people, black women mostly, deal with so much crap about our hair because you guys don't know how. Like, it has never once occurred to me to say to a white, white person, can you wash that? How do you, how do you do that? Or how long does that take? And you know what my answer is? Here's, I've learned things over the years. My answer is not that long. Because if I answer in any kind of way, a mm. different way, it just brings the next question in. Oh, so how do you wash it then? So my brother-in-law, who's white, gave me a nice little tip. He says, you say lather, rinse, repeat. Because there's certain things you can say that won't piss people off. But if I come off to people like, fuck off and get away from my hair, then I'm now the bitchy one. But yet you were the one that was trying to invade my personal space and didn't think anything of it. It's personal space. Why would I want you touching me, much less my hair? I, I don't. But yet for some people, for white people, that's a thing. You know what? It's not my responsibility to explain to you how a black person does their hair. It's not my responsibility to tell you how black people feel about something. I'll tell you if I want, but it's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to guide you and educate you on what it is like to be black. If you're my friend, you'll know. And I can, as, as a mom to three white kids and a black kid, I can tell you more hands have touched that black hair than any of their white hair. And I, I get the, like, I'm confused. as a mom, I get the same questions. Well, how do you, how do you, and part of me is like, I am figuring this out as I go because <laughs> it, there's a lot to learn, but I haven't called up my friends to ask, like, I'm, you can YouTube, like, there's ways that you can learn how to. If you really want to know, you can learn how to do it. But like I said, I can just, I just want to collaborate that I've seen apples to apples, white girl, black girl, the way that, yeah, the way that people, and, and it doesn't even matter if her hair is curly or straight, like she'll straighten her hair and she's, people still want to touch it. Like it's not even, we're not, we're not, we're not zoo animals here. You know, and when you treat us like that, it put, takes us takes us back. You know, I hate the word monkey. Mm. Why might you think I hate the word monkey? Whenever I hear the word monkey, I'm like, oh, I hope in my head, I'm like, I'm hoping this doesn't turn into some kind of racial thing because it could easily. I mean, it did I with Michelle monkeys. Obama. There was 
there were issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I despise, you know, remember Curious George? That storyline, that storybook Curious George, I remember as a kid. Now, as a kid, I didn't understand why I was uncomfortable. Now that I'm an adult, I can go like, oh, no wonder you were uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff. It happens so much that you just, as a black person or, you know, Hispanic person, you're just, I mean, at some, depending on your day, like I said to the college kids, depending on my day, I might answer in a way that might not cause trouble, but depending on my day and my mood, it might not come across as nice as it might have otherwise. But why do I have to be nice when you're being rude? Right. I mean, that's the, that's the other side of it. I'm okay. You can say, oh, my God, I love your hair. Thank you. I, I'm good with that. We don't need to go beyond that because you know what? I don't know how this hair gets done. It's not my job. I pay someone to do it, <laughs> which is another answer I get when someone says, well, how do you do that? And I say, I don't. I pay someone just like you pay someone to do your hair. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, like, this is, this, is the, this is the stuff that seems really minor, but it is minor. It's the big stuff that nobody wants to pay attention to either. Right. If we ignore the little stuff, we're also going to ignore the big stuff. We're not going to ever get to the root of the problems. Yep. It's true. Yeah. And so I think, I think the biggest takeaway, a big takeaway is that we really need to listen and believe, right? Like, listen and not yes. not try to question or or not try to poke holes or not try to figure out other reasons, agree. right? Like, we just yeah. need to listen. That, yeah, and then yeah. evaluate not not on the truth of what was said, but on what's inside, like the feelings that that leaves you with, and and I think also trying to. Like, I know for me, it's, it's like, I can, it's hard. Like I'm embarrassed about the journey I had to take. I'm embarrassed about the instances that like reflecting back on, I'm like, oh, that was racist as hell. And I just, I just told that joke thinking I was in the crowd and, you, and talk, gosh, I'm, we all have those. moments. No, we have those moments, even, even as black people. You know, I'm not saying that just because you're a person of color, you don't have your own bias. We all have our own bias, but our own bias is based typically is based on actual experience. Some of these white people don't have the experience, so they're just making up shit. They're using what they see in the media and TV and entertainment as an indication of everything. Like a black guy should be able to wear a hoodie and not be looking at as though he's a thug. A black guy, a black kid, a black boy shouldn't have to worry about the police stalking him because they think he might be up to no good. And I feel like that's not just boys. I think about that. My, my oldest is almost 15 now. And I think about not only like, what is she wearing? And she loves her some hoodies. It'll be like yeah. the middle of summer and she's in a hoodie and we're in like Southern California. It's like a hundred degrees. I mean, heck, when we were in Phoenix and I'm like, girl, like take the sweater off. But like, there's that other piece. Like you see a black kid. You don't know if it's a boy or a girl because they're in a big hoodie with a hoodie in the middle of summer. I'm like, 
you can't do that. You're making yourself a target and it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, there's so many things that my parents probably didn't teach us because they probably didn't want to make a point of it. You know, I, like I asked my brother, he's the only one of four, uh, four uh, out of five of us who is the boy. And I asked him, did, did you guys have the conversation about if you get pulled over, how you should act? And that would not have been a conversation that I'm, it never came my way. I don't recall that conversation, but it's an important conversation to have. You know, how do you have to act? But even if you act a certain way, it's no, there's no likelihood that you're going to be come away alive any more or less than somebody else. There's no good answer. It's all, no. Because we've seen instances where people do comply and they still. Yeah, many, many instances, probably many, many more than we've even seen. And this is not about police. My dad was a police officer. This is not, he was military police of the worst time. This is not about law enforcement. This, I, you know what, law enforcement, it just shows you the implications of society as a whole. You know, how we were raised, who, you know, and then you get into that loyal blues, you know, boys club. Uh, you know, this is how we do it. You, you're now in this club. We get to act like this because we're in this club. And every industry has their own version of that, except that when you're a service to others in the community, it's it's can be even more of a struggle. And especially when there's that power dynamic, you know, like it. I worked in, um, not as a, as a cop, but like in security and, and things like that. And there is, there's a power dynamic. Like you, you, you know that you have more power than the civilian, than the average person. And then combined with the implicit biases combined with the institutional racism, it's a, you're setting everything up for, for failure, for situations that we keep seeing in the news and that keep happening. And jumping back to a conversation we had a little while ago, I also was thinking about all these like anti critical race theory people who don't even know what critical race theory is, but they're jumping on this bandwagon because they, you know, they want their kids, their white kids to be comfortable learning about history. And I'm like, I would rather have them be uncomfortable learning about history in school and then be comfortable because they're not hearing about instances like Buffalo. I haven't told my kids yet about what happened in Buffalo. That's home for us. Like I want to be able to go shopping with my kids at the grocery store and not have them be scared. Like, yeah, I would rather have my kids be uncomfortable in school so that once they get out of school, Nobody is shooting up grocery stores. Like, why can we not <laughs> fix the issues so yeah, that it, it's, yeah, we've got, we have got to decide what's important. And this country cannot be changed by the 13, 12, 13% of us who are African-American. It cannot, it will, and I say this to my college kids all the time, 
you are not going to be the minority or the majority come 10, 20 years down the road when you're in your career. And that's going to be a shift. And that's going to be a shift that you're not going to be prepared for because, you know, I'm even seeing it when so a lot of the projects that the kids, you know, get to work on, they get to choose their target audience. And I saw way too many mainstream target audiences last semester. And it's just because they don't think any different. They, 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 they choose target audiences that are like them. Mm-hmm. And if you're only working with what you are or who you know, then you're never going to expand and be, you know, a much more creative person if you only work within your own little blinders and bias. And, and that's what I a, hope to change with. And I think that that's a, a great point. And it's also, I feel like a point where a lot of people get stuck on because they're a white person in a white circle and they know they need to diversify that, but they're not quite sure, like, what's the first step to get in a black friend? Do you know what, like, and it's not, I'm trying, I know that sounds minimizing, but like, how do you diversify your circle? How do you put yourself in situations where you're around more diverse people? And I think that's the tough part. Sports. The the reason I actually had black friends is because of sports, right? There's always black people in sports. So that makes it super easy. You can move to a neighborhood like I didn't do it on purpose. I will be the first to say, but this neighborhood that I live in, I am surrounded by people that look like me or are Hispanic. Would I have chosen that on purpose? No, but I sure as hell after 12 years of being in this neighborhood, appreciate the fact that my neighbor next to me is African-American. He's married to a Hispanic gal. The neighbor kitty corner for me is also black and she's single. Neighbor on the corner is Hispanic. The only white person that borders my, my yard is the jerk neighbor who's called the police on me many, many times. So what does that say, right? I mean, like, so the, the reality is, is that these aren't little instances. I could probably name a zillion of those kinds of things that have happened that I just have forgotten because there's, I only remember the big ones. But the fact of the matter is to find people of color is not difficult if you truly have a diverse interest yourself in life. If you only do, I go to work, I come home. I go to work, I come home. You're not going to meet anybody different than the people that you work with. And the one thing I love and the reason why I've been in the uh, academia for so long is because the beauty of college is you're put in a room with 30, 40, 50 kids that would never, ever be in the same room with you. And you get to hear things from these kids that you would never get to hear in a workplace because workplaces are just a reflection of our society as a whole. Mm-hmm. But colleges have that unique and even even somewhat somewhat public schools, depending on where you're talking. But colleges really have that ability to be much more diverse than we give them credit and to have that impact on the kids. And it, and it may be our only hope to changing their generational views that they grew up with. But you're not going to change an 18-year-old who is that hate, has that much hate in them with, as far as the kid in Buffalo. I mean, that's a lot of hate. That's a lot of hate. And it may, and, and I, I, I'm sure we'll learn more. Um, I don't want to only blame the parents because parents are not, are, you know, obviously the, uh, the kid up in, was it the kid in Minnesota, the one that, um, where's the, the kid where the, the white kid that shot up the school and the parents are in jail as a result? That's a very rare occurrence where the 
um, where the kids, where the parents are actually kind of really taking any legal action as a result of what their child's doing. Right. Most of the time, the parents are kind of clueless. And that's a whole different problem. Mm-hmm. You got to know what's going on with your kids. You can't just, you know, act like they're little cats coming and going. You know, they, they will, they'll surround themselves with the wrong people if you let them. I mean, you got to be some guidance, and but you're, you know, you're also a mentor, and what they see in you is what they are going to mimic. Yeah, I think too, for those of us in the the digital entrepreneurial world, the online entrepreneurs, um, one thing that I did a couple years ago is I love podcasts, but you have to. I've noticed as a white person who listens to white podcasters, the recommended podcasts are all people who look like those people. So you have to intentionally search out diverse podcasts. Mm-hmm. And like once you yeah. find one, it unlocks and it lets you start listening to other voices. Um, you can connect with those people on social media, start following those people, attend summits that those people speak in. Things like that has really helped me continue um, to diversify not only who I consider to be online friends, recognizing that's different, right, from like actual, yeah. like in real life, um, soul sister yeah. type friends, but um, but just being able to experience my network and the the voices that I listen to, because that's a, you don't want to be in an echo chamber where you're only hearing voices that are like yours you need to listen to other voices but at the same time you've got to be careful that you're not listening to the wrong voices so it's that like that Mm -hmm. there's an element of discernment right because black people are also not a monolith so all black people are not um aligned like i i'm not trying to name drop i don't want to give anybody (laughs) reason to go search out certain people but there are (laughs) (laughs) but there are hugely hugely problematic black people too like it's just so it's like you've got to be able to have that discernment and continue to educate yourself and dig deeper and ask questions but ask questions of yourself and not put that burden on other people but i think curiosity is so important in life in general the more curious you are the more you seek to learn and if you're not curious, you don't seek to learn and you just want to stay where you're at. So curiosity, you know, I'm not opposed to, you know, my 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 tight circle asking me questions, but they don't ask me questions like that. Right. Because we've spent decades together already. They don't need to ask me stuff like that. They already know where I stand on my views. I don't have a problem voicing my views. But, you know, there's a lot of black people who don't want to voice their views because it's become such it, it really does put you in a, in a box, in a corner, and it makes you, and now I'm at the, the ripe old age of being the angry black woman, you know, which is a whole nother topic in itself. And so, you know, I get it. I get why somebody of my age might be angry by the time we get here. I don't know. Maybe the fact that I make 63 cents on the dollar of every white man might be enough. I don't know. I could go on and on with stats like that. It's just ridiculous. Of course, I'm going to be angry about it. And the fact, and the that, fact that nothing's you know, all changing. Exactly. I mean, like, I truly think we've gone backwards. We've gone backwards, especially with Roe versus Wade. And that's, I think that's the other thing that 
especially white people don't necessarily understand at face value is how harmful, how, how detrimental that is going to be for the black community, because there's already that, that offset. Right. And like the, the white people, the people with wealth, which, and I'm talking again, generational wealth, which is white people are the ones that are going to be able to like pick up from Mississippi and make the drive up to New York or whatever Mm -hmm. and get the care that they need. Like they're going to be able to figure things out. They're going to be okay. The people who aren't going to be okay is the people in those urban environments, low income, overwhelmingly black, Hispanic, other people of color, indigenous, that they're not going to be able that they're not going to be able to figure this out any other way than, than back alleys and, and really harmful and hurtful things. So even though like that is a right now, women, I feel like are rallying, but it's not just a woman issue. Like it's also hugely impactful in a negative way towards people of color. I definitely agree with you or, or I, I can see how we're on this track of actually going backwards and i just wish there was a better answer like a a better like that you could just give us the answer and then we could just do it and we would be on forward motion you know and unfortunately i can't expect that out of you or anybody right um i think it's just an element of continuing to do the things that we've talked about to to be self-aware to listen to believe to intervene whenever possible even when it's uncomfortable we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable because you're going to be uncomfortable. Um, And I think we haven't really talked about this, but there's an element of like, not only finding your voice and standing up for what's right, but learning when to shut up and let somebody else take the lead. That's one of the biggest things like I've learned, like when we went to Black Lives Matter protests and things like that. And luckily I never made any of those mistakes. Um, You know, I learned about it before I went, but like, you don't want to show up as a white person and, and, save the black lives matter protest no 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 you fall behind you shut up and you let the black people who've been fighting this fight for years decades whatever you let them lead and you you fall behind um and i think the biggest thing is for me and feel free to to add more is is just to stay in the fight you know to be here for the long term not to give up and to just stay in the fight because there's always going to be something new to learn something new to help with um and don't don't let it die down you know i feel like there was a point after george floyd where things started to die down you know it wasn't as trendy on social media anymore and you go through that that lull until something else happens and now something else has happened in buffalo and there will be a rise and i don't know if it'll be a month or a year but there will be a fall and until something else happens, there will be that comfort zone. And I think we need to make sure that we're charging through the comfort zones to keep the fight going. Yeah, I totally agree. And, I, and it's not easy what we're asking people to do. But here, but I, one of the points that I was trying to make um, is the fact that there's not enough black people or people of color at, you know, especially African-Americans to really be able to turn the tables by themselves. We really need, um, and I'm going to say it, white women. You know, we need white women to band together to help all people of color 
to help anybody who is impacted by ism, and that could be sexism, racism, you know, sexual orientationism, you know, all of those kinds of things that we as this country feel like we have the right to tell other people what it is and how they can live their lives. But we also, you know, the other right that we have as is individuals in this country is not to have laws that are there to get in the way of us moving forward because people like myself, we shouldn't have to be unicorns just to be great in this country, you know, and that's really what it comes down to right now is, you know, I asked my, my college kids, you know, have you ever had a black instructor, a black teacher or anything like that? And the majority of them had not. So how can we have, how can we have moved forward? How can we have moved the needle if here we are in 2022 and these kids have just, you know, some of them have had, but most of them have not. And you can't expect that, you know, kids are going to just, suddenly become super open at the age of 30. If we're not doing it when they're younger, they're not going to understand and be able to incorporate that in their lives as they get older. And I think this may seem really small, but sometimes I think we need to take small steps too. I think making sure that with your little kids, you're reading diverse books. You know, you're not just reading books with main characters that look like your kids and you're exposing the kids to diverse uh, TV shows, you know, and, and things like that when we're going to like the really young ages and that, which is kind of where I am. Like my youngest kiddo is six and we do live a life where we're not in a, the same place all the time. And so my husband and I have these discussions all the time is that, you know, when we're not around a lot of black people, how do we how do we keep these lessons fresh in their mind and how do we expose them to different cultures and things like that? And it's, I'm not saying that this is like the best way to do it, or this is the only way that you should do it, but I'm just saying at a minimum, watch some shows, watch TV. Yeah. Well, and, and you have to be a little careful because um, TV ha- in the entertainment industry has done a great job of showing African-Americans only in a certain stereotypical way. True. And all that does is continue to support the belief systems that white people already have about, yeah, if a black guy's on, you know, got a hoodie on, he should cross the street and go the other way. You know, uh, you know, all these kinds of things that 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 are part of bias. Um, you know, we've got to make, we've got to make some changes and, and unfortunately there's not enough motivated white people. Well, I'm hoping that we will change that. You know, I, that's, that is an area where I'm hoping, you know, it aligns with like my mission is that by talking about my missteps, the racist, and I mean, I'm not repeating the racist jokes, but talking about the instances where I may have said a racist joke or, or had that, you know, and then when I was um, called out, as I should have been, had that like, but my baby's black, therefore I'm not racist. When that's yeah, not at all, like that doesn't, that's, there's no connection there um, of truth. But I've gone through those instances. And I, I feel like, especially when I look at some of my like high school friends who are still, who never, like we were saying, never left their area. I know that moving from Buffalo and Rochester, New York to Washington, D.C. And like inner city D.C. Um, was a, was a, an experience that helped me see diversity and like really see it, not just experience it, be a part of it, yeah. you know, um, 
And so I'm really hoping that by sharing those experiences, other people will start to be like, oh, you know, there is something there. It's tough. It's not an easy, it's not an easy mission. This isn't easy work, um, but it's important. It's important for our kids. And I, I, tell, I tell my kids that, that unfortunately it's not going to change in my lifetime. You know, with knowing that I'm in my late fifties, I'm not going to see the change. I don't think my daughter's going to see the change and she's in her late thirties, you know, so somewhere along the line, a change has to start happening. And it may take a couple generations, but we have to be the people who not just who keep it in motion, who keep it moving mm -hmm. forward, who don't allow regression and who just keep fighting. And I think that people who are listening to this podcast like want to be there too. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't be afraid. You can't let fear hold you back. I think fear is what is keeping this country and a patriarchal white man type of society out of fear. Yeah. There's so many great women, regardless of the color of their skin, that could be leading this country. And but but as a country, we're immature. Yeah. I mean, you talked about fear. This happened recently to me. I was wearing a uh, shirt that said 0% conservative. I had a mask on that said F, uh, F racism, fully spelled out. Um, and my shopping bags are rainbow, like our pride bags. So I was like, I was loud and proud going through the grocery store. And usually people, you know, they might, you might catch a glance, but I triggered this guy, a white, white guy. My guess would be 40s or 50s. Mm. I didn't say a word to him, but he came up to me and started yelling at me about how he was 100% conservative. And he went on and on about his love for women. And, and, and in that moment, I was like, where, where? <laughs> now, it is funny now, but in that moment, I had a man yelling at me in the middle of a grocery store. Yeah. And I was like, what is going to happen here? Like, what should I, what should I do? I was alone, you know? So it's like, you get that, like, I don't even want to say fight or flight because fight was never, an, like, I was not. In hindsight, I wish I could have just been, like, all up in his face and, and, and back at him. But I was terrified. I was terrified. But, you know, yeah. I still got to, I'm going to continue shopping <laughs> with those rainbow bags. And that mask is going to stay on my face when I'm out in public. You know, yep. regulations yep. or rules be damned. But... It, 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 it's hard and it's hard knowing in my privilege that if I just wore a different mask, carried different shopping bags, wore a different t-shirt, yeah, that wouldn't have happened. But like not, that's, I, that's privilege. people all the time. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't change the color of my skin, you know, like where people will say, um, we will have this conversation about the isms per se. And, you know, talking about people who are upset with homosexual behavior and, you know, all of this that goes on in their heads and same sex this and all that. And it, and to me, I'm like, what difference does it make to you who somebody else does something with or doesn't do something with? It doesn't matter. But here's the difference. Here's the difference between being a person of color who's being discriminated against and a person who has a sexual orientation discrimination. 
is I can't hide my color, my skin. You can hide your, your, you know, your sexual orientation. Should you have to? No, but you could, mm-hmm. you could, but you shouldn't have to. And that's the difference in them. They, they, that's the, the, the discrimination is completely the same. Other than that, you could, if you chose to hide your orientation, mm-hmm. which you should never have to. And I, I just want to make that clear because, you know, the minute I walk in the room, judgments have started. Right. I'm 5'10". I'm not a tiny little girl. <laughs> right. So and I walk in proud as can be. And so that creates a lot of, of, of reaction out of people that I haven't even had a conversation with. And I know that. I know that the minute I walk in, I know that's an, that impacts the crowd. And the fact that I'm super confident doesn't help either. But the fact of the matter is I'm not going to undo who I am just to make other people feel better about themselves. And I think that's a great takeaway. Well, Karen, I feel like I could just keep talking to you for hours and hours and hours, and we could just keep this up. Um, but <laughs> I want to, I have to honor your time. We're already a little over in the time of our listeners. Where can our listeners, our viewers, where can they connect with you, learn more about you, learn more about your business? Um, they can always go to my website, which is Nomos Brands, M-N-O-M-O-S-S Brands, with the plural, and that will take them to what I do for a living. But then I also have a podcast where I did um, a couple, about seven episodes of a podcast with uh, another group called um, Racism in Small Business and Arts. Um, and there's a website for that, too. So if you want to hear some conversations about White Fragility, the book, we talked about that. We talked about the um, the angry black one. We talked about some of those kind of high um, reactionary topics back in 2020. So that was really what happened, you know, in 2020 when the George Floyd went, I felt like I needed to talk. And that's where, you know, that's where you'll find those podcasts. So those are really great places to connect as well as social media, Facebook um, and Instagram. I have uh, accounts there as well. And I will link to all of those in the show notes. I just, because you mentioned your website, it reminded me how much I love how you've set up your website. So I just, I'm an arts person, I'm a creative, and I just, I love it. So great job on the website. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for being here today, for being willing to have these difficult conversations. Um, I appreciate you so much. I'm grateful to be connected with you on Facebook, and I'm very grateful that you agreed to be here with us today. So thank you so much. And thank you, Meg, for being willing to take the lead on these conversations, because as we talked about, it's a tough place for for white individuals to take on because you are kind of, you know, do you, are you the head? Are you the lead? Or do you just follow? And it can be a really a bit of a challenge, but I think doing something is better than not doing anything at all. So I appreciate you for that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That is it for this episode of Familypreneur. Join us inside of the Familypreneur Business Accelerator to follow through on the action steps from this episode alongside an incredibly supportive community. Plus, access our robust training vault and a variety of exclusive monthly virtual events, including co-working, happy hours, and bonus training sessions. Head over to familypreneur.co and join us today. Until next time, I'll see you over in the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. Bye for now.